Hey everyone, welcome to the episode number six of Sugidama podcast. The podcast about Japanese sake, the drink which looks so simple, but requires a lot of skill and artistry to make. And today we will have a very exciting episode about how sake is made. But before, some great news. Sugidama podcast now have a sponsor, London Sake, an excellent online sake store really graceful to Andy, who owns it and who decided to give my podcast a try. London Sake has one of the widest selections of premium and craft sake available online today. They deliver across the UK and Europe, and with over 100 sake from 25 breweries, there really is something for everyone. Using simple online tasting notes and sensible, affordable food pairing, they help you find the perfect sake without any of the fuss. What is important, the listeners of this podcast can get a 10% discount by using the code SUGIDAMA, all in caps, during checkout. London Sake, making sake simple. Another piece of great news is that I have finally got reviews for this podcast. Yay! Actually, they have been around for a while, but I just didn't know about them. I... I thought that all the reviews should appear in my Apple podcast account, but it wasn't that easy. Anyway, now I have found the way to keep a track of them. So one review is from Arathon from Singapore, who is actually the Sakya Collective on Instagram. Pretty cool. I will not bother you with reading it in full as much as I wanted, just a few bits from it. This podcast lays the groundwork for any sake beginner or enthusiast. And the content of this podcast series continues to grow more and more interesting. As a beginner or a growing enthusiast in the wonderful and ever-evolving world of sake, this podcast series will help you to understand your drink better. Hoping to see this podcast grow. Wonderful job, Alex. Thanks a lot, Alex, the Sake Collective. Another review is from the UK by GardenBoy88, and it's short, but again, very good. So informative and passionate about sake takes you from novice to expert. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot very much. It's so cool to receive recognition of your work. So please, take a few moments and leave a review on Apple Podcast or any other platform that allows it. It's really important to let other people know about Sugidama podcast so they could tune in. Now let's dive into such a fascinating topic as sake brewing. The thing about sake is that it's a process-driven drink, as an opposite in a way to wine, which is an ingredient-driven drink. More of the hard work in wine is spent on growing grape wines. It requires centuries of cultivation, proper location, proper soil, and a lot of other things. After the grapes are harvested, the winemaking process is quite straightforward. I'm not saying that it requires less skills than sake. The point 
I'm trying to make is that without good grapes, you will never get good wine. Sake is different. Ingredients play an important role here, and we will talk about it in a minute. But even if you have not the best ingredients, you still can make very good sake if you are a skillful brewer. It's been mentioned in a lot of books and articles about sake, and on this podcast as well, that 80% of wine quality come from the grapes, and only 20% from the skill of the winemaker. While in sake, 80% of the quality come from the skill of the brewer, and the rest from the ingredients. I would divide sake brewing process into a planning stage and five big steps of actual brewing. The planning stage is basically about making a decision what sake to brew, which affects a number of choices during the brewing process. After that, we have five big steps. The first step is rice processing. The second is rice koji making, a very important step. Then the third, making a starter. We've talked about it in the episode about brewing methods. The fourth step is actual brewing, and the last, fifth step is post-production, using the term from movie or music production. Okay, choices. Let's look at the situation when a brewery wants to make a new sake from scratch. So they need to decide what type of sake they would like to make. And here we have an interesting situation. We know that sake is made from rice and water, with help of koji and yeast, plus brewer's alcohol if it's non-junmai. The water is usually given. The breweries historically were built near a source of good water. And good water means, apart from being clean and in abundance, a water containing potassium, phosphoric acid, and magnesium but with low level of iron and manganese. So normally, you can't change the water. I mean, you can use some techniques to make it softer and reduce the content of iron and manganese, but still, it's what you've got. You can look at Kampai Sake Brewery in London, for example. They have to use uh, the local water, which is extremely hard water by sake standards, and they soften it but still to a certain degree. So water commands the style of the sake they make. It is dry and more acidic than normal Japanese sake. Then we have rice. Here it can be both ways. Either the brewery decides what sake they want to make and choose the rice. For example, for fruity and elegant Junmai Daiginju, you would choose Yamada Nishiki rice, the king of sake rice, as it's often called. For refreshing and crisp sake, Miyama Nishiki rice is great. Or if you want deep and rich taste, you might choose Omachi, the first designated sake rice. However, even here there are nuances. Let's say the brewery wants to make um, fruity and elegant sake, but with a twist some deep undertones in the taste. So they might decide on omachi rice, or vice versa. The brewery would like to produce savory junmai, but with a whiff of elegance, so they could go for Yamada Nishike rice. However, the situation could be opposite. 
the brewery might already have a source of its rice. So they need to decide what type of sake they would like to make from it, given its characteristics. Again, the technique is more important than the ingredient itself, but still. Same is about koji and especially yeast. You have to choose them based on the style of sake you would like to make. Andy at Origin Sake has a very good article about sake yeast varieties on his blog, originsake.com, and you can see that they play a big role in taste and aroma of sake. Another thing is to decide what grade and type of sake to make and what brewing method to use. As you might remember from the episode about Kimoto, Yamaha, Sokujimoto, and Bodaimoto, they all influence the taste and feel of the sake. So let's say we decided uh, what sake we want to make. So now it's time to prepare the rice. And I'm not going to talk about technical preparation. What I want to highlight here is rice polishing and further preparations. For example, we decided, okay, I can see as a brewery now turned into we, but I guess it's more fun this way. So we decided that we want to brew uh, ginger sake. So the rice has to be polished to 60% at least, polishing of 40% of the grains to remove more of non-starchy components of the grain. Mind that historically rice was polished either manually using mortar and pestle or by water wheel mills only to the 90% polishing ratio. I have already talked about the vertical polishing machines which appeared in the 1930s and vastly improved the quality of sake and allowed the emergence of high-grade sake, like Ginjo. Bigger breweries have their own polishing machines. I saw them while in Japan. Uh, smaller breweries might use either third-party polishers, I think, or probably other breweries which have spare capacity of their own polishing machines and don't mind to lend it. I know that most of sake breweries outside Japan import polished rice from Japan or US because for most of them it's not economically viable to own a polishing machine. But polishing is not all. After the rice is polished, it has to cool down, and it takes a few weeks. And you might say, wait a minute, that long? Think about it. We're talking about tons of rice being polished, so it's pretty warm. And you can imagine uh, rice grains in the middle of a bag which lies in the middle of the pile. Can you imagine how long it will take to cool down? That's why it takes few weeks. So the next step is washing. You need to get rid of rice particles and rice bran remained after polishing. The process is simple. So now the last two preparatory steps, which also the start of the brewing process proper. First of all, the rice has to be soaked in order to get prepared for the next step, which is steaming. The soaking process is quite simple but is very important. It's the process where the toji, master brewer, often uses a stopwatch. Why it's so important? First of all, the polished rice absorbs water much faster than unpolished, and it's 
obvious as the protecting layer of the grain is removed. Secondly, the amount of water absorbed by the rice affects the results of the next steaming step. That's why it's crucial to achieve the optimal hydration of the rice and use a stopwatch, especially for high-grade sake. I have to say that sometimes the rice is left to soak overnight when the polishing ratio is low. The last preparation step is, as I have already said, steaming. And this step is also very important, as it will affect the fermentation process. The rice is specially steamed and not boiled, because it should be firm outside and soft inside. In sake brewing, it is called gaiko nainan in Japanese, which is just a direct translation. Well, if you boil rice, you will get the opposite result, soft outside and firm inside, which is perfect for table rice. Why soft inside? To make it easier for koji mold to penetrate the rice grain and start converting starch into sugar. When you take the steamed rice, it feels firm, sort of uncooked. But when you start kneading it with your fingers, it becomes more elastic and soft. This is used by the toji to check if the rice is ready, making a sort of cake of the steamed rice uh, to see if it's elastic enough, soft enough, and so on. The technique is called hinerimochi, basically making it a cake. In old days, the rice was steamed in deep, large vats made of uh, Japanese cedar wood. But nowadays, they are usually made of steel. The steams come from the bottom of the vat and go through the rice. The vat is covered by some fabric material which is bulging while the rice is steamed, so it looks a bit like a mushroom. (laughs) After steaming, the rice is divided into two parts. 20% will be used for making rice koji and the rest for the main fermentation. Also, 5-6% of the steamed rice is used for the starter. So here we are, the rice is polished, washed, soaked and steamed, and ready for actual sake brewing. Just to remind you guys that Sugidama Podcast now have a sponsor, London Sake, an excellent online sake shop with a very good selection of over 100 sake from 25 breweries. They have excellent tasting notes and food pairing suggestions for each sake, which will help you choose the perfect sake without any fuss. Listeners of the podcast can get a 10% discount by using the code SUGIDAMA, as the name of this podcast, all in caps, during checkout. London Sake, making sake simple. Sake brewers often refer to making rice koji as the most important step in brewing sake. There is an old saying which goes as first the koji, second the motto, yeast starter, third fermentation, ranking the steps by their importance. Very often rice koji is made by hand, while I guess large breweries might use special machines for that. If you have watched any movie or video about making sake, you probably remember the process uh, when a brewery worker is walking along tables with steamed rice with a special box, sprinkling 
the coach's paws, which looked like greenish dust on it. So let's just refresh from the previous episodes. To make alcohol, we need sugar and yeast. Yeast feeds on sugar, breaking it into alcohol and CO2. Rice doesn't have much sugar, but a lot of starch. Starch is not very different from sugar chemically, just larger molecules, which are easier for plant to store compared to sugar. Koji, which is a domesticated mold used in fermentation in Asia for thousands of years, is used to break these long molecules into shorter ones, which is basically glucose. The process is called saccharification, from the word sakar, sugar. So, as you see, it's a very important part of sake brewing. At the beginning of my sake journey, I was a bit confused with the word koji, because it often means slightly different things. I already mentioned it before, so here I will use a word koji for koji spores, kojikin in Japanese, and rice koji for the rice infused with koji spores. So rice koji is made in a special room. The room is hot, 30-40 degrees Celsius, because koji like it, and well ventilated. The steam rice is carried in the koji room, which is, by the way, called kojimura, put on the tables and let cool down. Then koji spores are sprinkled on the rice. It's usually done manually, or using a special automatic device. The rice is mixed to break any lumps and to make sure koji is evenly spread throughout. Then it all is divided into smaller trays or boxes to have a better control over the process. These trays are checked and rearranged every two hours or so for the period of 40-60 hours in total. Basically, it's a form of art in a way because so many things have to be controlled. The temperature is constantly checked because the process of saccharification generates heat itself. The humidity is checked to make sure that unnecessary water is evaporated. Every brewery has its own methods, techniques, tricks of making rice koji. The way the koji grows on the rice is very important too because it determines the taste, flavor profile and other characteristics of the future sake. And when we were talking about choices, there are two types of koji, each having a distinguished character and use for different types of sake. And I will make an episode about ingredients and we'll talk about it then. So, we've talked about making a starter which is called shubo or mortar in the episode about brewing methods. Shubo literally means mother of sake, while mortar just means yeast starter or mash. So, we now know the basics and also that there are three main types of starter. Bodai mortar, an ancient way of making it. Kimoto, which was used between Edda period and the beginning of the 20th century and also includes Yamahai, and the modern method Sokujomoto, a fast fermentation. As we have already talked about the differences in these four methods, I will focus on a few common points. If you haven't listened to the episode about various brewing methods, it's the episode number four, called From Kimoto to Sokujo, 
and back again. Okay, first of all, the starter is needed to increase the amount of yeast in the fermentation. So you grow a high concentration of it in the starter and then add it to the main fermentation. To do it, the brewery workers mix koji rice, which already has some sugar and water, in a small vat and add yeast. A small amount of lactic acid can be added as well, or natural lactic acid bacteria can propagate uh, itself naturally. And lactic acid keeps away all unwanted bacteria and microorganisms from our starter. Again, as I have mentioned before, there is a method called spontaneous fermentation, when the brewer just waits for natural yeast which live on the walls and the ceiling of the sake brewery come down to the starter and begin to multiply. But this technique is very precarious and not used very often. So for the modern Sokujimoto method, it takes around two weeks for the starter to get ready. Kimoto method takes one week longer. Okay, we probably should stop here and continue next time to talk about the magical process called Sandan Jikome, the main fermentation, and the post-production. Just a quick recap of the episode. The brewing process starts with the decision, what sake to make and the choices of ingredients. Then the main ingredient, rice, is polished to the desired level and left for 2-3 weeks to cool down. After that, the rice is washed, soaked and steamed. The brewing process starts with making rice koji, when around 20-30% of the steamed rice is cooled down and infused with koji spores in a special koji room. The process of growing koji mold on the rice takes 40-60 hours. After that, koji rice is mixed with water and pure yeast culture is added. Lactic acid can be also added depending on the brewing method. After 2-3 weeks, the starter is ready for the main fermentation. Okay, it's time for our exciting part, sake of the episode. And I wonder if the listeners who listened to the podcast from the beginning have tried any sake I featured in the last five episodes. If you did, please let me know, either through comments or social media or email. I'm so interested to see what you think. Today, I would like to talk about Narutatai Ginjan Nama Gensho. This sake is a double blessing for autumn. Not only it's Genshu, undiluted sake, it's also Namazake, unpasteurized sake. The combination provides deeper, stronger and umami richer taste, which will perfectly complement any hearty autumn dish. The fact that it's a Ginja style sake gives it a bit more refined taste and slightly flowery aroma. And pasteurized sake generally doesn't have a very long shelf life, and usually you should drink it as quickly as possible. That's why Honke Matsura Brewery, which has been around since 1804, came up with innovative idea of a sealed aluminium can, which protects the freshness of Narutatai sake for much longer. This can looks like um, old-fashioned... Uh, canister for um, oil or something. So it 
it's it's pretty cool. I quite like the design of the bottle. Narutatai Ginju Nama Genshu is a bold by at the same time elegant sake. Behind its high acidity and rich taste, you can detect plenty of nuances, usually associated with Ginja style sake. Narutatai has a delicate sweet aroma with a lot of earthy notes and a tiny bit of fizziness of the freshly made sake, which some people describe as a milky texture. Try it with richer and heavier dishes like maki sushi with some rich sauce, grilled fish, miso aubergines, an autumn beef and vegetable stew, or even some mature and strong cheese. You won't be disappointed. And by the way, and I honestly didn't plan it, Narutata is available from our sponsor, London Sake. And you can compare my tasting notes and pairing suggestions with theirs and decide which you think closer to your impression of this sake. And don't forget that listeners of this podcast can get a 10% discount by using the code SUGIDAMA, all caps, during checkout. London Sake, making sake simple. That's it for today. I'll be back with more episodes. I'm sure you are eager to know how sake is made. I will talk about the exciting topics of actual fermentation and post-production in the next episode. And after that, we'll have a few very interesting interviews with amazing people from the world of sake. So please stay tuned. In the meantime, try some sake and let me know if you liked it. Narutatai is available at our sponsor, London Sake, as well as at other stores, both online and offline. Also, look at my website, sugidama.co.uk. I'm going to publish my recommendations for the five best sake for a rainy day. Or look at the tasting notes section. Please send me an email or leave a comment about your experience. Again, if you like the episodes and want more, hit the subscribe button. Please, please, please leave a review. Don't wait, just do it now. It only takes a few minutes and means a lot for me. The podcast is gradually getting more listeners, but it's still not enough to bring the word about Sakya to the masses. So please share this podcast with your friends, with anyone who might ask you about Sakya on your social media, WhatsApp chat, anywhere. Thanks a lot for listening. Kampai. Sugi, 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 sugi